Mike? You've won. Welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Uh, we are back with the newest episode of our Season of Halloween series, uh, and we're close to the end. It doesn't seem like it. seems like we've been doing so many Halloween shows that like, we've, we still got a lot to go, but we've only got... Literally. Huh? Literally. Yeah, yeah. Halloween shows. That's, that's right. But uh, we've only got two left. Um... Because we're, we're skipping, um, all like we did ha- Halloween one and two from Rob Zombie, so those we're not doing again, and we're not doing um, H- Halloween H two O as as either because we've already done that in an episode. So really, we've only got two left we, after this one. We got Halloween Resurrection, and we've got the new Halloween, and so that's I mean it's exciting. We've almost done all of the series. It's a week away. Yeah. So, um, we had been talking about this on the show before when we got to this episode, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, and we were wondering, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to do the regular cut? Are we going to do the producer's cut? What should we do? We did offer up a a poll, and uh turns out everybody wanted us to do the producer's cut, but uh, unfortunately, I got some bad news for you. We're not doing the producer's cut. We're doing a theatrical cut. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One being that it just makes sense in the scheme of things right now with what we're co- covering to do with the theatrical cut. Um, and then also the other reason being that I couldn't find the, th- the producer's cut uh, in time for this show. So theatrical cut it is. And I think a lot of people have, have said they want us to do both at some point in the future. So we'll just revisit it down the line. Yeah. So we'll like maybe next Halloween we'll throw in the producer's cut and really take a look or maybe even try to like do a little comparison between them because for the most part, like a lot of producers cut and theatrical cut are fairly similar, but there are some unique differences to both that uh, really change the outcome of the film. Um, And that was because the uh, original uh, script for this did not do very well at all with test audiences. So they needed to change it up and they did some major reworkings and, uh, so that's what we get with the theatrical cut, um, but the producer's cut really got left uh, for you know people to kind of splice together after the fact, and they kind of put it together. Sometimes it's called it Halloween Six Six Six, but ultimately it is just the producer's cut. Just kind of goes to show you people are stupid. There's no way the producer's cut ending could have been more jarring than this one. That's true. Because this one goes like the very old school, like 40s and 50s way of like a f- film. 
and you know, yeah. like it, 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 yeah. It I mean, ended. I mean, I think you can see it both ways. Like the probably, a, I mean, the, it's been a long time since I've seen the producers cut, but I feel like the producers cuts not very good. But at the same time, you then get left with a theatrical cut, which has a few jarring cuts and changes and edits here and there that um, really do change up like how the film plays out. And so it's it's it is interesting, like how. They decided to go with this theatrical cut, and who knows? Is the producer's cut better? Is theatrical cut better? I don't know. I don't know that either of them is really better than the other. They're just different. But um, I would say that the theatrical cut does benefit from being more of, like, very straightforward. Like, more straightforward than the producer's cut was going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's maybe, like, its only real benefit, and that's why maybe some people were a little bit happier with the theatrical cut than the producer's cut but we're just gonna we're gonna focus on the theatrical cut um in this one and then you know maybe we'll do a shorter episode down the line where you know we don't go into the full halloween six discussion but we'll talk about the producer's cut changes in that episode um so yeah i just wanted to put that out there as a caveat to this episode but uh, i want to start out by saying that um it's been a while since I've seen Halloween 6. It's not one of those movies that I, when I'm watching Halloween, like the series for Halloween, I don't generally tend to watch Halloween 6 out of them. Um, there's a few reasons for that. It, nostalgically, it's not one of my f- favorite films. Um, and then also, there's the whole, um, it just never was really played that much on TV for me, at least. Uh, I know they have started playing it quite a bit more now. Um, but it's just not one that I've really gone out of my way to watch. So I think I've only seen it like three or four times. And every time I watch it, it, it does still strike me that it's super convoluted. And at this point, the history of behind the scenes in Halloween has gotten so drawn out and ridiculous that you do need sort of like a family chart or a family tree to like just figure out who's related to who and how they're related and which ones are cousins and are they are they adopted or not? It's it, it starts to become sort of like this very intricate web of related peoples and neighbors and yeah yeah and in and this one it gets even a little bit more convoluted because technically our main characters are not related to Michael at all at this time they're only tangentially related so you have. Paul Rudd's character, Tommy Doyle, who was just basically in that first encounter with Michael Myers um, on that fateful Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, And then you have Kara Strode, who is technically only like an adopted cousin to Jamie, to um, uh, Jamie and Laurie. So they really don't have much connection whatsoever. It's very tenuous and they just happen to live in the same household. And that's that's pretty much it. Which, out of all, you'd think, you know, after, like, oh, you know, parents and all that got killed in Halloween, too, you know, maybe we, you know, seeing as we're part of the family, maybe we shouldn't live there. Exactly. Well, yeah, because they seemed, in the town, they seem to have taken more precautions of late uh, for, like, to try to stop an event like Halloween that happened on those Halloween nights to occur. Um on the radio, they say that people, like, what, in Haddonfield, that Halloween's been banned? Since Halloween 5. And then and then we find out that, no, it really hasn't. This is the most Halloween-y film out of them all so yeah, far. Yeah, 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 absolutely. pumpkins and decorations laden everywhere and actually shot in a fall 
you know, false atmosphere, so there's leaves everywhere. Actually, the nice thing about this, and I was looking it up, is that they shot it during the winter. So, technically, like, if you think about winter being, like, November, um, November, December area, they still had the leaves from fall, but they were, it's technically was, like, after Halloween when they shot it. So... Uh, kind of an interesting thing, but it does, yeah, it looks like probably the most Halloween that we get in, like, most of the films, you know? So that's nice. I like that part of it. Um, and so what's your experience with uh, Halloween 6? Have you seen it very much? Only a couple of times. Like, two or three times, maybe. And I think I've seen it. I've seen the producer's cut once a long, long time ago. It's never really been one of my favorite films from the series. Well, like I said, four, five, and six always blurred to me. Yeah, um, they're all. In this... I, never, I never really, you know, paid much mind to them because um, this type of slasher film doesn't really appeal to my senses. These it, ones that are getting like more into the '90s style slasher. Well, film. no, not just '90s. I mean, just like even like '80s, '90s. Like overall, they're just very kind of generic and haphazard. Like yeah. this one, you can tell what is made in '95, and you can tell like, oh man. It's coming off the heels of like the early slasher films of the 90s because it's got that Nine Inch Nails industrial look like, well, we're in the hospital of Smith's Grove now and pipes are bleeding smoke everywhere and there's green tinted, you know, cases for no reason with hooks everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the hospital itself was very industrialized. Like I've never really seen a... I mean, it seems like a nice place for tetanus instead of being a like nicely sanitized hospital. It's more of like a industrial park yeah but yeah i agree though like i think four five and six they really kind of blur together because they are technically part of the same like trilogy yeah era of film um even so i feel like four and five really weren't trying to like further this cult aspect as much um well five's the one that you know hints at it at the end but i don't think they had any idea when they ended five, I don't think they had an exact idea where they wanted it to go mm. and what they wanted to do with it and where it was going to go. That's why this film, you know, gets made five, six years after the fact. Because you're like, mm, yeah, what, do we, you know, what try, do we do with it Yeah, now? trying to yeah. actually kind of plot it out. That is tough. Like, what do you, I mean. Because with four, they just dr- literally dropped the ending to four, basically, of like. Yeah. Jamie being like the reincarnation of Michael Myers and just moved back. Like, nope, he's back, you know. And <laughs> she's now just locked up in the sanitarium yeah. with all her uh, psychic nightmares. Ooh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I would say for the most part, they do a fairly good job of picking up from five, though. I mean, if you're going to run with the cult part of the film, then they did a fairly good job with it. God, didn't they just take, like, a Stephen King type story or a Lovecraftian? Yeah. Like, right, the whole, like, sort of ritual aspect. Well, not only that, but, like, it seems like, and from what I've read, the direction is for the next one, before H2O is made, to have it be the whole town's in on it. Yeah. Yeah, so... The whole, all of Haddonfield, this entire time's been in on it. You do sort of get, like, that in the mouth of madness, sort of, you know, what Carpenter did later on with, like, whole towns that are full of madness and... Well, that's the same thing, you know, and you would know more than me because I don't read Stephen King, but I've, you know, seen his films, you know, that his uh, films are based off his works. And there's usually like, and as you were saying with, uh, when we, uh, what, you know, reviewed the remake of it yep. and how you were saying like Derry's constantly a thing that gets brought up throughout his works and how they're always constantly like kind of in being this like cult like town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, it's, it's sort of like a character in itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, you do. I mean, I could see that in... You you kind of get um, splashes of that in Halloween Six that like a lot of people are in on this like ri- like cult ritual um, within Haddonfield and it sort I mean it sort of makes sense too because this is the place that's been happening in like over and over and over again so and you, that would be the only way it makes sense for how Michael gets the thorn uh, yeah right yeah you know how does a six year old kid you need yeah you need some sort of like um. I don't know, backstory to how he gets this mark and and grows up being cursed. Which is hilarious. Again, when you think back to the first film, it's hilarious because it's just like he just randomly, you know, dons the mask and kills his sister. And, and he's just standing outside kind of blank face after the parents pull the mask off and just kind of looking at him like, Michael! Yeah. Like, you know. What'd you do, Michael? You know, and as they're sending them off to the sanitarium, they're probably like, good. Yeah. <laughs> The plan is, you know... It's exactly what we wanted it's for... It's the plan we, you know, been planning for millennia. For Michael to murder my other daughter. Like in Halloween 3, with the whole town for the Silver Shamrock mask. Like, we've been waiting millennia, to, you know, to enact this great plan to... Yeah. ...take the souls of children. The technology is right. So it's kind of like, that apparently is going to be what's going to happen here. Like, well, I think we've been in it all along. And if only Donald Pleasance, you know, lived to see it, you could, you know... We could have found out what happened in that. I'm, I would be curious to... That probably would have killed him. Oh, yeah. He, if they had, like, a show I, up in... Ho- if he didn't die before Halloween 6 came out, they bring him back for Halloween 7 to find out. It's all been this clever ruse of this, you know, Celtic <laughs> cult in Haddonfield. That probably would have been the thing that ended up killing well, him. Well, think about, like... With that scenario, you have Loomis, who's pretty much spent his entire life, like, tracking Michael down, making sure that he doesn't harm anybody in Haddonfield, uh, constantly coming back to Haddonfield to warn them. And then he comes to find out, like, oh, they've actually been doing it, you know, to themselves. Yeah. Like, this ritual has been drawing Michael back on purpose. You'd be, I mean, at that point, you'd be like, my whole life's work fucking in flames. You know, why did I pointless. even bother? Yeah, yeah. yeah pointless. Jeez. Yeah. Well... Uh, do we want to take a break for beer? Do we have anything really to talk about this this week? If you want, I mean, I have just a couple of uh, quick updates that I've I've had. Uh, last time on the show, we had a uh, I, I said we had a torp that we ordered from Hopsy um, for my sub machine, and uh, this week we have a new one in the in the sub machine, and it is another. Uh, it's an amber ale from Mustache Brewing Company. And, uh, I gotta say it's, it's pretty good. It's still, I think on the flatter side in terms of like mouthfeel, but it does have a, a good amber taste to it. Um, nicely, nicely colored as well. Cause that's what you want. You're looking for that amber color when you're drinking an amber ale. And, uh, I, I think it's a pretty good beer. Um, I'm still not sure right now if the torp itself is what's flat. Or if it's Mustache Brewing Company's style that they make a little bit more of a, on the flatter end. Uh, in this case, with this Torp, um, it's still getting a lot of head on it. But it's just sometimes the mouth feels a little bit uh, less carbonated than I would like. So still not sure yet whether it's the sub itself or um, it's the brewing that we're getting. So uh, we'll know that next time when I try out the Oktoberfest that I've already had previously. And I'll know... You know, whether or not the sub itself is the culprit in this. But, uh, yeah, I had uh, – so that that uh, Mustache Amber Ale, fairly good. I'd recommend it. Um, anything else that you've had recently that's different for you, Martin? No. 
Nothing new, huh? Nope, I'm pretty, ha- pretty dull. Yeah, haven't been, haven't been branching out. Um, yesterday, I drank a lot of uh, Sam Adams IPAs in their Rebel Pack and uh, Jenny Cream Ale, and we've already done all that on here, so yeah. no need to touch on them again. So just a quick update for that. Uh, I wanted to bring up two real quick. Um, did you see the new trailer for the Pet Cemetery remake? No, I have not. Yeah, um, you should you check it out. It yesterday. Yeah, huh? yeah. Um, one one um, thing that stands out to me, I think it looks fairly good. It looks sort of like um, like an updated version of Pet Cemetery, where they've tried to add quite a few like things that I would consider to be more of um, contemporary parts of horror. Masks, for one thing, like creepy masks, kids with masks, um, and just like a lot more like of the atmosphere. You had me at John Lithgow. Right, exactly. That's the big thing that I noticed uh, from here is John Lithgow is um, playing the role of the old man that Peter Gwynn played in... Uh, Fred Gwynn. Fred, uh, Fred Gwynn played in um, the original Pet Cemetery. What are we doing in Pet Cemetery? Well, I don't know. At some point. That whole podcast, whatever we do, uh, Pet Cemetery, I'll be Fred Gwynn the entire time. The, the remake comes out in April, so we could tie it in with that. Mm. Um, so yeah, so the one thing that I did wa- wish that they did was have Jonathan Lithgow say the line. Oh, go to- I'm probably going to save I, that. They're going to save that probably. You think, you think it's actually in there? Do you it think has he actually- to be. Uh, with, all, with how films operate these days, go, especially like... Just like a little for, nod. Going, for going for nostalgia. Yeah. Like, ugh. You, you know, think like they at, have to? It would be it would be wrong not to. Just like think, how with Halloween, the new Halloween coming out, there's going to be several nods to the original and the, probably Halloween too, too. Yeah, to make people go. Like, oh, oh, I think there's know. nods in that in that film to like all the Halloweens, despite the fact that technically in this universe they wouldn't have happened. No, I know, so, but it's just, just, yeah, just like a people love their nostalgia. Yeah, I know. I think in Pet Cemetery though. Um, I don't know if they'll do it or not, but I, I would I would like to see them do like a rendition of it, maybe. Maybe not like straight up, you know. Because if they did it straight up, you would expect like Jonathan Lithgow and everybody else to like turn to the camera and just be like, huh? Huh? We got it in here. You didn't think it would be here, but we oh, did it. Instead of, you don't want to go down that road, it's going to be, why? Oh, you, you don't want to go down that there road. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Lithgow does sport a nice little beard, so. A little white beard, so. It's love looking it. good. I'm I'm excited for it. I think it looks pretty good. So I love John Lithgow. Yeah, yeah, and he's always he's like another one of those actors that's sort of game for everything. Yeah, he can he, do it all. Yeah, he he's up for anything. Like he'll do a really serious role. He'll you know be pissed off at people dancing. He's literally <laughs> one of the few good things about the show Dexter. Oh yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I haven't watched a lot of Dexter, so I don't know if I got to him in that. I think he, he was a season. Four. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten to him. So yeah, I think he was a I think he was a season four uh, serial antagonist. Killer. Yeah, yeah, because before that it was Jimmy Schmitz. I'm like, I'm just so glad to see Jimmy Schmitz getting work. This is great. It can't get any better than this. And then the next season is John Lithgow. I'm like, it just got better. There you go. But yeah, I didn't really like Dexter. Yeah. We can do. Well, it's just a show that's recommended to me by a lot of people. Yeah, it's kind of like, mm. disappointment. Well, it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, very right. middling. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's get into uh, Halloween 6 then. Um, the Curse so, of Michael Myers. Curse of Michael Myers. Can't, can't forget that part. No, you really can't. You really uh, can't. This, I mean, Halloween 5, when the title card just had Halloween 5, it didn't have the revenge of Michael Myers on it. This one does. Yeah. Um, This one dropped to 6. 
in the title yeah. card. It just says Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. So yeah, and let's talk as we're talking about the the title. That fucking opening title sequence for the theatrical cut with the font just horrible, just <laughs> horrible. Somebody did not care whatsoever in the visual editing department to like get even like try. They're like, what, "What's the font in right now?" Like Arial. All right, just leave it. You know, just put it right over the right over the, the uh, image, and we're good to go. I feel like that was a rush job. They're just because I think in pr- the producer's cut, it's different. The font is different, and in this one, it's really just literally Land. like whatever the generic typeface was for the. Something that looked very early '90s. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of it is like the uh, the font for the t- for the title itself, but then the font for the actor actors too. When it's saying like starring, it's all it's all horrible. starring and introducing Paul Stephen Rudd. Paul Stephen Rudd. I don't know why he would have gone with Paul Stephen Rudd because I, probably Paul Rudd was taken. You time. think Paul Rudd would have been another actor it at the time? Had to be. I I mean no you no I it, it sounds far fetched but it had to be. Because, again, like, you know, why do, you, when you ask yourself with, like, a lot of people, why do they originally don't go with their, you know, just, like, two given names, they have, like, a third name? It's because someone, much more obscure at the time, got their SAG card before then, and then, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would just, I, it's, it is really strange that he would go with Paul Stephen Rudd, just, uh. And I don't remember if in Clueless, if he did or not. I don't know when he decided to drop the Stephen part, um. I don't know. I don't know. That's a that's a good um, good, good question. Good point because I I don't know when he dropped it. Never really. I mean, I didn't. I, it's been a long time since I've seen Clueless, so I don't I don't remember. You know, was he Paul Stephen running that one? Um, but I just I just liked it. Well, you can Paul look Steve. it up. You can look it up right now. And yeah, I'll, I'll take old... a look here, Paul Stephen Rudd. Um, but I mean, so I thought you know the opening sequence for Halloween Six. The Curse of Michael Myers was fairly interesting because you can really see the 90s creeping in into this one. Especially in the editing. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. No, he didn't use Paul Steven Rudd in this oh. and Clueless, just, just to let you guys know. But yeah, the, the editing for this is truly atrocious at the beginning of this film. It's very 90s-esque. It's um, what, ma- what would be now known as MTV style Yeah, it's, it's like epileptic cuts and flashes. Of, like, stuff that's happening outside of, like, the present time period. And it's never really... I don't know that they go into, like, great detail about, like, what's happening? Why is that doing... Why why are you cutting like that? But for the most part, it's basically setting up the idea that Jamie, um, after the events of Howling 5, uh, was, like, sort of kidnapped, she's impregnated, and then... Which, by the way, she's 15. It's totally skirted it, yeah. you know, just just like uh, you know, let's well, we won't worry about that. Yeah, no, it's, like so, like if you like, don't uh, expect you not to think about it. Like, oh, she, Jamie's pregnant; she's about to have a baby yeah. in this cultist laboratory. But they say like Jamie Lloyd's been missing for six years, and she was nine years in the event, you know, nine years old in the events of Halloween Five. I was like, she's fifteen. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They, I feel like they don't really want to bring that up because. Well, first of all, the time frame would be really weird if they try to change much of it. You know, like, because there's already a fairly convoluted time frame throughout the the opening of this film to make sure that everything's in place. Like, because you have to have Tommy Doyle and at the around the age of Paul Rudd from 1978. So he'd have to be at this point. Um, ba ba ba. 
like, like 25 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to have sort of like this, the, the time frame. like I don't, I wouldn't want to be in charge of that. Like having to like at the, on the writer's board, just like having like, well, this one happened in 1978. Well, apparently, <laughs> I say apparently the writer, which I, I don't exactly remember his name. Apparently he did map out like a timeline. He in de- mapped out for this film an in-depth timeline, family trees for uh, Daniel Ferrance. Yeah, for like all the characters created specific family trees to make sure everything was like knotted down. Right. So it it is. I will give this film credit. It is more definitely thought out, and it's you know yeah, it's ties to the rest of the universe. But you are right. It is. A, it does it's, become a convoluted mess. It's like almost unnecessary that it's so ridiculously complicated on God, you know, like what's the next one gonna have? A third cousin removed from the Strode family comes to town and you know And they decide like I'm gonna live in this one vacant house that nobody seems to wanna live in. Oh yeah, that's right, because your your very distant relative was murdered in there. It's like like they and the thing is though, like even though they've come up with this really convoluted idea of like here's Carol Strode, she's a cousin, adopted cousin to Laurie Strode, and Jamie has a baby and all this stuff. It's really the same concept. Some person lives and has the unlucky uh, thing of living in the Michael Myers house. Michael Myers is back, and he's whatever he wants to just kill people again, and that's like literally the the gist of the plot. If you boil it down. And they just had to get it a lot more convoluted to make it make sense with all these curses that are popping up. The curse of the thorn. Um, <clears throat> and it's just, I can understand why they wanted to, to go through this like sort of curse route. Because there's really not much else that you can do at this point. Where you're just going to have Michael Myers come back again and again and again and again. Just killing people, murdering and killing people in Haddonfield. That's going to get a little bit boring. Um, so you have to have something else that is sort of a draw to this plot. So I will say that even though I think the ritual curse aspect of it is pretty stupid, um, I, I do agree that something needed to be done here. Like they couldn't just do the same thing again and again. It had to do something a little bit different. And where do you go with it? It's very, very frustrating. The only thing that they could have done really, and then, and then you would have gotten rid of Michael Myers altogether is follow up with that. Jamie being the next, yeah, the next killer. And, <clears throat> um, they really don't do that and they don't even make a nod to it or anything like that, that, oh yeah. Remember when Jamie killed her mom? That, yeah. That, that was a thing that happened in this timeline as well. Um, they don't, don't bring even, any of that up. Don't even bring Daniel Harris back. No, no, they didn't. They didn't bother at this point. Daniel Harris probably would have been, um, well, from what I read online, they did offer her, Yeah, but she, the, the pay she was asking for which wasn't outrageous but enough to like she recently to do the role yeah. got emancipated from her parents and they weren't willing to basically give her pay to, enough to cover that cost yeah and so they said well, well fuck it we'll get someone else so, yeah. yeah so they did get somebody else and she has a nice mom haircut perfect for very you know she just got done watching the santa claus yeah you know <laughs> yes yes yeah it's a very mom haircut like nice little bob that she's yeah. got going Demi on more and ghost yeah you know. Yeah. Um, so the whole opening sequence is fairly ridiculous. I why does that. why does like the nurse slash midwife who helps give you know birth to uh, Jamie's child and all of a sudden like I'll help you get out of here like you know what was her change of heart you know being in this cult fucking hospital and all of a sudden be like well you know my womanly instincts just kicked in for the defense of a baby you know because. 
Maybe she's not affiliated, and they're just like, we need a nurse. Get in here. Wouldn't she expect things like, yeah. well, you got this, like, uh, pentagram on the ground, yeah. you know? <laughs> and yeah. we're having to do this by candlelight, you know, <laughs> with uh, druids walking around. This you know, it's just a little, oh, I think I've been, you know, bamboozled. Yeah, this been... is not the normal <laughs> hospital protocol. Yeah. <laughs> Candles? Oh, yeah, it was Jamie's request. She just... Apparently, a lot of people in this film like candles, though. Yeah. Well, it's a candle-loving film. The, if you like... If you're a heavy shopper at Yankee Candle, you're going to love this movie. Oh, but It's I like doubt, candle porn in here. Doubt they, doubt they had a Yankee Candle in this town. Some no. Some shop... Uh, candle maker in this town, you know, is a multi-billionaire because everyone's got 50 candles on standby. Yeah, I mean, in this movie... For uh, lovemaking. Uh, yeah, a teen who's just about to get down with business... Is like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Where's the candles? You know, it's like, that's not really a common pause. And, and for most oh, people. hold on, I gotta shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really, I don't know, he, he's, he's very, uh, he likes to be smelling nice and he likes ambience and atmosphere. He's a very romantic soul. Unfortunately, he gets murdered very quickly after, so. <laughs> uh, looks like he walked off the Boy Meets World yeah, set. Yeah, he does actually. He looks like, um, he could be. You know, who um, who were the bullies in that show? You remember their names? Uh, well, one of them was Ethan Sutherland. Well, yeah, yeah. But the guy with the longer hair, remember that yeah. bully? He looks like him a little bit. I was saying he looked like Will Friedle. Oh, yeah. He does look like too, Corey's yeah, brother. Yeah. He does look like a low-rent Will Friedle. Yeah, yeah. With, you I know, his boots and then his, like, sweatpants, jeans, just kind of not even, like, draped over them, but, like, kind of tucked in and his flannel. What was he supposed to be for Halloween? What was that costume he's wearing? He basically just has like a Zorro style eye part, mask or something like and that. The, no, because he had the stitches on his head too. Oh, it was he, like part Dracula, part Zorro, part oh. Frankenstein, I guess. I, I mean, she's Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. His girlfriend's Bride of Frankenstein. That's c- pretty clear, but I don't know what he was supposed to be. I, th- I think it was like a hybrid. Yeah, must yeah. be. He was just going for it all. So um, one of the things that's pretty interesting about this movie is that it has sort of like a shock jock radio host that sort of shows up randomly throughout the, this film the z-list william h macy yeah, yeah that's mean, what he that's what he, he looks does, like yeah, with that he has a really ridiculous mustache with that mustache on. and hair he horrible look, yeah he looks like you know like you're like let's you gotta find a william h macy lookalike and i'm not really sure the point of the whole radio host thing it's maybe that's the inspiration for urban legend for uh yeah Tara Tara Reed's like i talk about sex and stuff yeah at the college. He's like, hey, you know, crotch. He's probably like that in bed with crotchless panties and uh, dog bites. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's fairly in- interesting, and it does add a little bit more to that opening sequence. Is like he's doing this whole radio conversation about Michael Myers, which does bring out the crazies who call into his show. And you're like, what the hell was he expecting? He's like, what's going on out there? Is it a full moon? It's like, you're talking about Michael Myers. Like, people are going to be crazy calling it's like in. Part- Howard Stern, part Rush Limbaugh. It is like part coast to coast, uh, you know, paranormal talk. Because I have friends uh, that I work with that when they drive into work, because I go to work at, you know, almost four o'clock in the morning, they listen to that crap about people calling up. The coast to coast. Like talking about the fifth dimension. Yeah, yeah. I used to listen to it my dad when we got out of the radio station around midnight. And it's pretty interesting. And there are a lot of crazy people out there. But that's basically what his his show is. And people call in. Um, and that's actually how, I mean, that's, I guess it makes sense because that's how Jamie and Dr. Loomis and, um, Tommy Doyle are all, um, 
kind of interconnected at that point because they're all listening to this show, obviously, because fucking Loomis has got maybe now he's really gone from like crazy person to just like John Hammond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's keeping um a whole nest of Michael Myers dolls in his house somewhere, probably. Well, he's writing a he's, he's like, I'm done being a doctor. I'm writing a book now. You know? It's probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea for Loomis to be like, I'm hanging up my doctor's license. Uh, but he he literally looks like John Hitt, like as he was like talking and like moving around at first, like expecting like the Jurassic Park theme to like yeah, you know kick in, like yeah, you know. yeah, he does because he even they even made him grow a beard this time, or I don't know if they made him or if that's well, no, just he's what ha- he, this, he was sporting, yeah, he but had one the- yeah, but this is much thicker than what he's normally had. Yeah. He's really actually gotten out of control maybe at this point he was just like fuck it i'm not gonna i'm not shaving anymore i also for a second too thought he was in the uh, thought he was back on the phenomena set because he's sitting there his typewriter like, oh yeah that is know, us yeah you know, like, feels similar like, oh, to phenomena just need a, you just need a chimp loomis but, has a chimp now you know to help him but i i have to question whether he actually gave up his medical license or if someone is like okay Finally, after all yeah, this like, 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 we're, we're taking it away and they're like i mean you can say that you've given up on it but we took it away. Yeah. <laughs> like you're you're no longer allowed to practice. You get no, and that may be the other reason why when Wynn comes in and says, "I want you back," even so, he says like, "I'm retired. I don't really practice anymore." But he does go along with it because he was like, "Oh, one last hurrah, you know, one more <laughs> chance to be Doctor Loomis instead of why crazy at this Loomis point though, why would he want to? Yeah, exactly. Are you kidding? If I was coming, they're like, "We're gonna go look for Michael Myers." He's like. Fuck that well, shit. Well, he's had, like, a nice, calm six years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for the most part, sitting at home. Gave up the drink. Re- retired. Um, no. Writing a nice manuscript that per- potentially no one's ever going to read. You know, he's just kind of, like, working on it by himself. And he might be left. He'll die at some point, And somebody will discover the yeah. manuscript. But probably oh, not going to sell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that at this point, and especially in, in Curse of Michael Myers, Loomis's role... Despite like what happens in the producer's cut, we're just talking the theatrical cut. Loomis's role is really like very small in this film. He he only actually is in it it's to like, like the film forgets about him. Yeah, it forgets about him, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, Loomis is here. Remember him? And I think, and I, again, I think that will have to do with the fact because he died, dur- you know, during the making yeah, of the film. Yeah, you know, and once they went to do reshoots, he obviously wasn't there to refilm things. That's why you know, sure, you, it sure. kind of ends up being like in certain points, like. So what's Loomis and Paul Rudd doing? Like, oh, you know. Yeah, a lot of times. Why half the film is just Paul Rudd wandering around this apparent, you know, Halloween political rally at the Haddonfield campus. Yeah. Of just kind of slowly slumming about, you know. Yeah. Looking for what? Who knows? Yeah, I think like with Loomis, they do a lot of where he's not present. And then all of a sudden he like pops out of an elevator or something. He's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm I'm here to help. And uh, I think that does have to do with like his just not he was not available to do some of these filmings and reshoots. And they probably got rid of some of the scenes that really heavily involved him. Um, But I would say, do you want to give a Looney Loomis score for this one? I would say that my Looney Loomis score for him is pretty low on on this one. I would say a three because he's very sort of subdued here. I'd agree. Yeah, he, 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 he doesn't he doesn't go off the rails at all. I think again at this point, I think he just. He's just too damn tired. He's, he doesn't have the energy. He's yeah, the, the energy very clearly is just, like, not here for him. And there's, I mean, I think there's only, like, one scene where he yells something. Like, he's coming or something like that. And that, other than that, there's no, like, rise in his normal level. It's just very subdued. So I'd, I'd give it a three. He does still seem a bit on the crazy side, but more like quiet crazy guy who 
stays in the house most of the day. Now, Paul Rudd, on the other hand, is sort of in this film. Um, I think that they've tried to make him like adopt Loomis's qualities. Like he does seem in some ways like Loomis in some of the ways that he delivers his lines. Um, but again, Paul Rudd here is very subdued as well. And that seems like more of a disinterest in his character. What, you know, because as you said, he does, Tommy's just walking around this community, like staring at people, looking into windows, yeah. randomly like strutting around the campus it doesn't really make – like, uh, you just see, think about people, like, seeing him in the grocery store saying, and, like, what is he doing? It's, like, it's rear window without the intrigue. Just like, oh, he's just, no. Yeah, it Here almost seems is. like he's just very mindlessly, like, walking around. Or even, like, the bus attendant who's at the depot when he asks, like, did a bus come in last night? I mean, he's, he probably is used to Paul Rudd doing that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, Michael Myers arrive on a bus again last night? He just seems like he's used to it. So Paul Rudd here, I mean, for his his appearing role here, uh, just very disinterested, not not delivering much character at all. Not showing anything worthwhile of eventually being a multi-million dollar film actor. No, for sure. And he, <laughs> he also sometimes um, adopts an accent that sort of goes away here and there. Um, and you said it's Shatner-esque a lot of the time when he's delivering his lines. line delivery. Yeah, when, like from the clip. Oh like, yeah, the have, one that we have in the like, beginning. Like, he's yeah. like, <laughs> "You won, <laughs> Michael." Yeah, it's it almost, he, he easily could have fit on you know the original Star Trek next to Shatner. I do feel though like they were have, trying to have him adopt some of Loomis's qualities, right? Because Loomis sometimes delivers lines like that as well, like "You won, Michael." I could see him saying that too. So I feel like they were trying to have Tommy Doyle sort of picking up on the mannerisms and characteristics of Loomis a little bit to become like that new Loomis. Because uh, he is as, just as obsessed as Loomis used to be when he that was... shit posted all over his room. Yeah. Like, he's li- Michael Myers, dead or alive! You he's know. like constantly listening in on this radio station and um, calling in saying that he's experienced Michael before. Where did he get the time to work out? Yeah, I mean, oh, it looks you know, looks creeping. looks pretty good. For well, uh, must be pre Sierra Nevada. It hasn't discovered it yet. I would say so. Probably pre Sierra Nevada. Even though it hasn't hit Illinois yet. Yeah. Even though he does seem uh, very subdued, like he might have been, you know, depressed from drinking. But um, then you have the other character, Kara Strode, who is uh, uh, Tommy Doyle's next door neighbor. He likes to peep on her a few uh, occasionally. Um, she is the cousin, distant. Uh, adopted cousin of Laurie Strode, and uh, she really—I mean, her character—not not that interesting throughout most of the film. Um, As a bastard child, she does. She has a, a child named Danny, who is really kind of annoying. As a as a annoying kid in this film, um, and I feel like uh, one of the more entertaining elements that I could have probably have watched more often is the family dynamic between Kara and her father. Who basically calls her a whore, says you 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 hoard it back up, and now you're now you're home again with Danny, and uh, smacks her in the face right at the the breakfast table. It's a little bit of a different approach than uh, you know like what Lori would get when she was at home, um, and it sort of leads into Rob Zombie's like ridiculous breakfast scene and in, in the remake of Halloween. Well, apparently for what we get too, because after she leaves, she like says like oh just another day at the Strode house. Yeah, so it's, it's common. Yeah. Her dad is an asshole. He's got to sell houses, damn it. Yeah. Why is there a broken down truck in their front yard? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just supposed to be like they haven't been able to clean up the Myers house. Like there's just all, all kinds of shit <laughs> at the Myers house that they have been trying to fix. But it's sort of like that curse again, the cursed house, you know. <laughs> Hard to hard to fix this house. Ah, damn it, the plumbing went out again. And no one no one wants it either. So it's still it's like throughout the years the you know the tw- almost twenty years that have gone by since the original Halloween, like it's just been sort of left to be the dilapidated house because in pretty much a lot of the Halloween movies, you see like the Myers house and it's like not able to be sold or anything like that. People are trying to sell it and they can't. Um, so I guess that again goes along with that curse of Michael Myers. Literally the curse is that Michael Myers fucked up this house and now none of his relatives can ever sell it. In in the housing market like that? It's an LA Noir plot scheme. Yeah, right. That was the whole that was the whole thing. The whole crux. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the kills in this film. Um because well, they're as generic as generic. They're be. fairly generic. Uh, a lot of them are very generic, like sli- Michael slicing with knives. He cuts a neck once. He stabs somebody. He does uh, shove the nurse into the wall. Like why did picks, that? Picks yeah. her up and shoves her on. Well, like a, what I don't get is why was it just random metal, metal hook just sitting in the hallway? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but. I mean, I, I've always kind of Michael like, is just lucky, you know that. Yeah, he <laughs> just happened to have a hook right there, and he's like, mm, "Perfect, you know, let's ha- let's hang a nurse." Um, the other one that I think is pretty good, that's sort of brutal, is Jamie's death. Uh, she's he actually pushes her onto a corn thresher. That's what it is. Mm. Uh, it's a thresher, so that's why it has like those sort of spiked, weird. Uh, I don't know, whatever handles hands that are on it, like tines almost. And uh, then he turns it on and it threshes about. It's supposed to, like, thresh corn, I guess. I don't know that. And I live in the country. I didn't know it was a corn thresher, but that's what it is. I thought that was pretty – that's pretty brutal, at least. And that's the difference. Like, most of the other kills in this film are not really brutal. They don't really have – they don't really have uh, anything going on that is very – it's all very generic – you got one that's very over the top, the electrocution of uh Oh yeah, Karen. yeah, yeah. That's true. Straight from Home Alone 2. It yeah. does remind of Home Alone 2. Did Home Alone 2 come first? Yes. Yeah, it did. Yeah, because yeah, it would have been 91, right? It came out the year after Home Alone. Yeah, so it would have been 91. Uh it does look a lot like Home Alone, except in Home Alone 2, uh he does not get blown up by electrocution. <laughs> and in Halloween 6. Uh, he's blown to smithereens by being like electrocuted so much that it just explodes. I guess it cooks his inside. Well, I don't get how, how is, cause Michael was like holding the metal prongs. So how is he not getting electrocuted? Yeah. And the thing about that, that whole scene is that it's almost like super comical too, because we do have that zoom out of the house and you can see like the, the lights flag, on the yeah. porch is flashing and like there's fucking ridiculous blue light shooting out mm-hmm. of the basement windows. It's so like over the top and ridiculous you it's almost like you're supposed to laugh at it cuz it's so stupid i did i i did too and that's i think part of why i was reminded of home alone 2 is because you get that exterior shot that looks like home alone 2 uh yeah that's a re- other than that though like there's not that much else that's memorable about the kills in this film this one they made sure to like cut away but then add blood splatters this time yeah so like when there was like you know cuts you know they'd cut away and then like show like a splatter you know like- also the biggest thing too is that they they uh, do a lot of editing and uh, epileptic lighting, because this film it was, better have had a warning. Yeah, there's a lot of flashes, <laughs> a lot of editing, 
that one, the whole scene where uh, Michael's in the hospital and he just kills everybody in the like the hospital uh, exam room. Uh, that's all just like shot with flashing strobe lights, and you can barely see anything just except for like getting jump cut, like that, that, you know. Yeah, you can barely see. The only thing you really see is like the knife coming down and like well, ripping out blood. Which that's like straight out of, uh, Friday the Thirteenth too, because it's basically a machete he's carrying around. Yeah, but it's pretty. It's a so, pretty big like butcher's knife or whatever yeah, he's got. So it looked more like a, like a machete, like a thinner yeah. machete. Yeah, I would, I would say that Halloween Six is one of like I, actually though it's better than four and five. Four and five are really tame, and they almost don't even show much death at all. So six is better than four and five in the deaths department, but it, it's it, they're not they're just very generic. They're not as um, creative even as like Halloween Two. Yeah, no, I'd say outside of the electrocution and the kill for Jamie, it was very yeah. Very just pedantic. How about the music here, the score? Because this one sees fit to adopt Carpenter's themes and probably a little bit more um, closely, like some of the theme, like the original theme is fairly close to Carpenter's score rather than like 4 and 5, which did the whole really like ridiculous synth score. I don't think Alan Howarth really had a lot to say on this final cut. Uh, yeah, I, I would I don't, think so. I, he gets the credit, but I got a feeling. Yeah, that Paul Rabjohns did a lot more of it. Had to have, because it has nothing, it doesn't... Uh, it's got, like, the whole chase scenes have ridiculous guitar parts for the, the chase sound. Because it's like, um, like an electric guitar going... And then, uh... Like, it's like a sitcom, like, you know, like... Oh, like you're watching Clarissa explains it all. Oh, Sam's coming up to Clarissa's room. Hey, Sam. <laughs> yeah. So it's like for this. Yeah, fun. like somebody hit the whammy bar yeah, really hard. Like, <laughs> there's yeah, and the other thing too is like there's a ton of guitar and drum solo noodling in this, like during the chase sequences, because they they do like a ton of guitar sweeps, like. <laughs> And then there is a whole part where there's just like some guy doing a drum solo for like, I don't know if it's supposed to be like Michael during the daytime <laughs> and he's not stalking people. He's like practicing his drum solos, but, um, doesn't really fit that much. I would say that it doesn't create the suspense that you're, you're accustomed to and Thinking about Halloween and the whole stalking sequences. You can tell the nine, the mid-90s have rolled in Absolutely. good and hard, too, yeah. because when they come to, there's going to be a song into car radio, we're going to play something that's like, it's, it's like Alice in Chains, but it's not. Yeah, but it's, it's, wor- it's, it's worse. It's, 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 you know, terrible. Yeah, it's, it's know? worse. Like, especially that, that end credit song sounded like they were definitely trying to go for, like, Alice in Chains. Yeah, I don't even know who it was, but that end credit song, but, uh... Yeah, it definitely sounded like Alice in Chains, but it was not. It was much worse. Just that nice, you know, grungy, like, can't afford music rights, so just, like, you know, try to church it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, the film had terrible sound effects, too. Yeah, it does. Every time, like, m- like Michael, like, stabs somebody, it's just like a bone crunch, like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does you know? sound like somebody, like, had, like, one of those big hanging meat hooks just, with, a, with a piece of, like, cow, with a cowhide yeah, or something. Just, it was just starting, like, hauling off, punching it as like, <laughs> hard as possible, like, doing a boxing punch. Yeah, it does, they do sound pretty ridiculous. They're all um, generic. Like, the one... 
uh, like flare gun like type thing that Paul Rudd grabs in the maximum security part of uh, Smith's Grove and shoots Michael with. Yeah. It makes like, like a, a typical like just like shotgun like you know, no. Yeah. 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 There's a bunch of like uh bits like that throughout the movie where the sound effects department's really lacking. Like they just took the most generic of generic sounds for everything. Yeah. Like, all right, that's what we're gonna use. Yeah. That's all we got. Spent all that money on Paul Rudd, let's go. You know. Yeah. Um Yeah, I just I think that well, I'll leave it to when we do the rating. First, let's uh, did we did we cover most of the things that you want to talk about about like the film itself? Um, we can talk a little bit more about the cult aspect. Okay, yeah, the cult of Thorn. Kind of go more into That's true, it. yeah. So um, one thing about the cult of Thorn is that it's led by Darman, Dharma's father, from Dharma and Greg. I was going to call him Low Ren Charlton Heston, but... Yeah, he is sort of like that too, but I just always recognize him as <laughs> Dharma's father, the guy who's like very uptight and... Or no, not Dharma's father, I think it's Greg's father. Yeah, it's Greg's father, Cause, sorry. Because well, Greg's the, the uptight the, guy. Yeah, yeah Dharma's the free It's spe- Greg's father. That's one of the few good, uh... Family Guy jokes. We're not returning the Dharma and Greg. Oh, Dharma, you're such a free spirit. Yeah. Audience applause. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's Greg's father from Dharma and Greg. Um, that's Mitchell Ryan. I've seen him in a few other things, but I don't really know him that well. Um, besides Greg, Greg's father and Dharma and Greg. So every time I watch this movie, I just, that's all I can think of. You know, it, it is hard to take him seriously as like kind of a villain figure. Um, Was he supposed to be the man black? Yeah, he's supposed to be. Yeah. Fr- yeah, like, he's supposed to be the guy that keeps showing up. He, so the, he's the guy that showed up with a fucking machine gun at the end of yeah, Halloween yeah. 5 and just, you know, mowed down everybody in the police station. That's why there's no police in this goddamn film. The entire precinct <laughs> six <laughs> years ago got wiped out. <laughs> and so, when they ban- so when they banned Halloween in Henfield, they, they got rid of the police department. Like, we don't need a police department anymore They've never either. been able to, like, get enough people in town to be a part of the police force anymore. People are like, no, 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 I am not. Doing that. Even though, you know, was it, it was four that had the posse, right? Yeah. So, like, in Halloween 4, they were really easy to get a posse round up, you know, a couple of them to help a little white girl. Now it's like, nope, I'm not, I'm not dealing with yeah, that. Yeah, no, in this one, everybody's like, if they become a police officer, like, I'm going to the neighboring county, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm not working in Haddonfield. Well, yeah, no, I, I just find it funny that, you know, the old man doctor was able to sneak up into... This, uh, the police station, Halloween. Well, maybe he was a lot more spry six years ago. (laughs) You know? I don't know. Um, one thing with the the cult, and the whole thing about the cult is that it's super convoluted, right? The film does not explain much about the cult whatsoever. Um, especially, like, in terms of what Danny's supposed to be to the cult. Um, I think there's that implication that he is also, he has the curse as well. But there's no tattoo, there's no explanation for why he's like an important character in this film and why he gets visited by the man in black consistently and again we're going off of the right exactly we're going off of the theatrical cut so a lot of that cult aspect is really cut down in this in this film and you only see bits and pieces of like what that cult actually means uh and and you're delivered it by paul rudd yeah that nice exposition exposition. on on his like apple ii computer like like showing like all the the history of the celtic symbols yeah yes yeah he does have like for whatever reason he just has like a giant circle of runes on his computer that he refers to every day i don't know is that like what he he just like checks in to memorize what runes are i mean it's in a way it's like okay it's kind of like a 
it is kind of a cool thing. It, it would explain why Michael's this indestructible. Yeah, he's like killing, been summoned almost. Yeah, this killing force. But at the same time, it's like uh, it is kind of cringeworthy because it's again, it's like I I think one thing that the the cult does is it takes away from how spooky Michael can be. Because if you think about when they get to the hospital and they're doing the whole cult ritual with the with the other people, and Michael's sort of just like a sentinel and he's like just Just walking down the hallways like looking for people Mm. it's kind of goofy right like michael at that point looks more like a bodyguard than anything else like he's being used for whatever this cult wants him to do and i i feel like that takes away from him a little bit like he he doesn't seem to be like the main antagonist anymore and what does this what does you know him killing last of the clan do they say you know it's good that, you know, a clan member, like, wipes out that way, the rest of them, what does it do? Is this, like, fucking uh, the Wicker Man and brings a good harvest, you know? Yeah, yeah it doesn't really, we don't really know, and, um, <laughs> like, it doesn't seem to matter, because, like, what are they, are they looking for power? Because they already have Michael, and he's invincible, basically. So, like, what does wiping out your clan do for the cult? It doesn't, insane riches? They already have, like, a ridiculous, widespread cult, because at the end of mm-hmm. this film... Pretty much everybody that has been around is in on it. The old lady who sit, basically just sits mm. in her living room staring off into space, she's actually not sick, and she... Which, that was hilarious, too, when fucking when Kara runs upstairs, and, like, and she just fucking jumps right through the, you know... Oh, the, God, yeah. The glass, and, like, just... Yeah. And then, like, you'd think, like, she'd be, like, bleeding and, like, running away. Nope, just... You yeah, know. The, the idea behind that jump out of the window doesn't really make sense to me, because it was like, so they're gonna capture you... If you just stay where you are, or you can sustain bodily injury from glass, flying through glass and a two-story fall, maybe she and thought, then get captured. Maybe she thought she'd get killed from it. She just wanted to die. She was like, "I'm out." Maybe she wanted to know. leave her son. Well, to no, the- well, no, it's funny too because um, at the same time they capture and like knock out uh, Loomis and Paul Rudd, and there's a very jarring cut to where they go back to. Paul Rudd and Loomis standing where she fell, and, and like Loomis, I mean not Loomis, uh, Paul Rudd's like, I feel like I've been drugged, and it's like, yeah, that cut does make it seem like like we as an audience have also been drugged. It's like, what the hell, you know? Yeah, it's like they didn't really. What's, what's the time lapse here? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is weird. The other thing that's um weird about the whole cult aspect, it's not really the cult itself, but once you get to the final scene where uh, Paul Rudd and uh, Kara are sort of in a fight to the death with Michael, they come up in this industrialized hospital, whatever, the, wherever this place is. I don't know. Well, no, it's, it's Smith Grove. Smith Grove. Oh, okay. So Smith it is. It's so, so, yeah, it is. so it is that same sort of industrial hospital that had smoke blowing out of pipes and everything. Well, no, it didn't have then, you know, the first one. No. The hospital in two and yeah. four or whatever. That's the Haddonfield yeah, one. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this is the sanitarium. Now it's, you know, now it's, yeah. They've, they've up, you know, they got that, you know, government money now, so they've updated their interior to but, post, you know, post-industrial 90s modern. My question is, what is in those glowing green syringes? Well, they had, there was a bottle that had said something on it, and I just said, well, look, they left Mountain Dew there. Yeah, yeah, you know? I mean, like, what is that? Or, you know, so maybe it's Surge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know what? You know what? I'm gonna inject you with surge right now. Like, no, four four syringes didn't do it. He's six. He needs six syringes of surge. No, no, it's supposed to be some kind of. I guess it's supposed to be like just like a poison, and yeah. so at this point, it makes him stagger, and you know, he's 
So it's a little, like, drunk, I guess, maybe? It was great, though, and Paul Rudd's sitting there beating his ass with that pipe. I was expecting Loomis to come in, like, I've tried that before with a board. It didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. But no, he just gets in the elevator and tells, you know, Kara and the baby and Danny to get in. And... It's actually a really easy and stupid way to finish Michael in this movie. You just beat him down. And yeah, then... it's like, just... Get him with syringes and hit him with a pipe. Like, that has never worked. So there's always got to be something else in in the other films that we've watched that takes him out. Like, you know, like you said, like, the board didn't take out Michael. So why does a pipe in this one knock him into unconsciousness and they are able to escape? Because he's Ant-Man. That ends Halloween 6. He's Ant-Man. Yeah, that's true. But no, what's what's even, I think, kind of dumber... And again, we're going just just going on theatrical cut. So after the, yeah. the theatrical cut, after that, you get like the happy ending, like uh, Paul Rudd and Kara and the baby and the yeah. kid. They're in the car and they're about to go away. And like, come on, Doctor Loomis, let's go. He's like, no, I have, I have unfinished business to <laughs> yeah. too. So like, get like he's gonna try to go in for one last time and end Michael and this cult or whatever. He's whatever the fuck. He's gonna blow up a hospital. Whatever. And then what's it do? Just cuts to like a pumpkin and the mask of Michael and you just hear in the background Loomis screaming, Nah! Pumpkin flickers. And then in memory of Donald Pleasance. Yeah. It's like, isn't that just the I mean, I... Is that how you wanted to see, you know, him go out? Yeah. Thought that was a fitting way, you know. I know the... The theatrical cut, of, I, I mean, the producer's cut got uh, cut away because people didn't like, you know, the whole him then being associated with the cult or whatever the fuck. Yeah. You thought this would be better, though? It is unfortunate that they didn't get a chance to just at least show Loomis's honorable death on screen. Or something. So, like, yeah. yeah, just like he tries one more time to kill Michael. Yeah. And fails. Yeah, because, like, he deserves that instead of an off screen yell like gurgling yeah. you know i mean i understand that it wasn't ideal that he he died during production but honestly you probably would have thought at that point like this might be his last one right i, I would have thought so so like you might want to shoot it so that there's a you didn't have somewhere in the vast catalog of six films a, a track where you could have had you know yeah like like a something better to play yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, or at least save it for the next film. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool? Oh, be the intro yeah. for the next one? You know, like because yeah. they're always thinking about making that next one. So yeah. like, yeah. just end it there and have like him starting to go into the hospital and have it end on like, like you know, it'll be picked up next time. Yeah, yeah, which I, is fine because it, they could always decide not to do that because yeah. they did that with Halloween Five after the ending of Halloween Four, as we constantly say. Hey, you remember when Jamie killed her mom? No one does. No one does. Yep. No one cares. Yep. No one cares. Moved on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, one thing I will say, though, is that I, you know, even though I thought I wouldn't, I think Halloween 6 is better than 4 and 5. A lot better. Yeah. It's at least more entertaining throughout. You have the dick dad. You have Paul Rudd just walking around aimlessly. Uh, Loomis's beard is, I gotta say, very very nice. Um, And then, you know, you have some of those, some of those more uh, interesting kills in here as well. Um, that make it a, a lot more entertaining than four and five. Four and five are just very um, bland. Bl- yeah, just bland. Not very interesting. They don't have a lot of entertainment value to them. So I gotta say that I do like Halloween six more than four and five, and I'm surprised to say that. I, I before doing this series, I would, I don't think I would have said that. I, because I thought I was gonna put them all in order basically, but 
that has changed. I feel very differently about the uh, the sequence of my favorite Halloween films now. And uh, I think I did a, a list one time for Coltsploitation of my favorite, like the, ranking my favorite Halloween films. And I'm pretty sure if I go back to that now, it's going to be different. So it's kind of interesting. Um, anything else you want to say about Halloween 6 before we give it a rating? Uh, no. All right. That's about it. Out of, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 Halloween boxers, because uh, the radio shock jock has some ho- nice Halloween skivvies on in this one, <laughs> uh, what would you give Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers? I'll give it a 6. Okay. I'll go that high. Um, it's entertaining enough. Um, it does feel like a breeze to watch compared to 4 and 5, and they're basically the same runtime. Um, I do enjoy Paul Rudd, just not really acting worth a damn in this. And I'm, I, we both are big Paul Rudd fans, so it's kind of nice just seeing his early beginnings of him just being Paul Rudd. Um, I'm not a fan of that early mid '90s style editing and shooting, but I think it does kind of work in this um, as kind of like a cheesy factor. I kind of just enjoy it, at least in this one, for it being cheesy. Um, the kills, though, very middling and boring and not well thought out. They're still something. Um, and I like seeing, you know, Loomis, uh, being more subdued and kind of quiet in his retirement. And the only thing I'll say that sucks is it sucks to see that's how he goes out. But compared to four and five, this is much better, much more entertaining. And... I would say probably better than it has any right to be. It has interesting ideas, but it's not given enough time to be fleshed out or edited in a coherent manner to where it makes sense. But if you do the digging and research, it does kind of make it more worthwhile to watch. If you probably didn't have any background information on this film, you probably, I would probably give it a like a five instead. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to know the context of it, I guess. Um, I, would pro- I think I would probably give it a 6.5. I did like it a lot more than I thought that I have in the past. Um, it does have some interesting kills. It is much better than 4 and 5. So maybe just even coming off of 4 and 5 and then watching 6, you're like, wow, that was a refreshing take on Halloween compared to those two movies. Um, I do like that. First of all, I like when Paul Rudd is in anything. So I'll, I'll take it in this film. Paul Rudd immediately brings a score up. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Loomis as well being in this film and sort of subdued and you can kind of see him getting outside of his loony Loomis, um, area and just accepting retirement. It's kind of nice to see as well. And seeing Donald Pleasance's, uh, final film role. Um, it's really nice. Um, I do think that the cult thing is a little stupid, but at the same time, I do understand why they wanted to go in a different route. Um, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. You can't just have Michael Myers come back and kill some other random people in town. That's what that's basically where Jason went in Friday the 13th. And, you know, after a while, those sequels stopped being as interesting. They had to go different places, too. So you have to find something else that works. I don't know that the cult works that well. I probably, if you know, I'm glad that we're retconning it for the new Halloween. But at the same time, I understand why Six had to do what it did. Just to, to, to give it a different uh, feel and to explore new options for Michael. I think it does make Michael a little bit of a lesser antagonist in this film because it seems like he's more of just a bodyguard or something than a than an actual entity that's 
an unstoppable killing machine. And I, they, even like how they vanquish him is probably not how I would have picked it to go out just because it seems way too easy to just beat him with a pipe until he stops moving. Uh, with that said, I think it's pretty fun and uh, definitely more entertaining than 4 and 5. And for that, I can applaud it and probably put it in the middle of uh, my list of favorite Halloween films. So that's it. Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. That's the theatrical cut. And like I said, we probably at some point will do a shorter episode on the producer's cut, maybe exploring the differences between the two, um, especially since there's about 45 minutes of different footage for the producer's cut than the theatrical cut. Fortunately, we're just not able to do it for this episode, but we will do it at some point in the future. Um, And then with that said, we're going to be doing Halloween Resurrection next week because we're skipping over H2O. We've already done that one. You, If you want to, in the meantime, though, go and listen to our Halloween H2O episode, which we did last year. Uh, Right? Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah, it was last year um, when we did 90 Slasher Month. Um, So go back and listen to that one before we go into Halloween Resurrection. And I think at some point I'm going to try to watch Halloween H2O just to get prepared for uh, Halloween Resurrection as well and watch the entire series myself. Um, So thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, We'll be back with our new season of Halloween episode next week. And then the week after that, finale time, when we get to the actual new Halloween reboot and remake slash sequel slash whatever the hell it is uh, for Halloween 2018. So that's exciting. I'm very excited for it. And I've got my tattoo all prepared because I just got a new uh, Halloween tattoo of a jack-o'-lantern from Halloween 3. So you can hit up my Facebook page and you can see that tattoo. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. And uh, hopefully hopefully you're having a happy, spooky October Halloween. Take care.